Join, converse, inspire. I'm your host, Francesca Amante. And I'm your co-host, Stefan Chwaniak. This is the JCI Canada Podcast. Welcome, Sue. So happy to have you in the studio today. Thanks. I'm uh, really excited to be here, Jen. Yeah, this will be a great conversation. One of our favorite topics, emotional intelligence. Yeah, I live and breathe this topic. Amazing, amazing. Why don't we start by, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, where to start? So, I mean, like you said, I uh, live and breathe emotional intelligence. And to that end, I find myself working as an executive coach now for the last few years with with a keen interest towards emotional intelligence development for leaders and uh, owners of organizations. That's amazing. And how did you get into this work? Well, it was really like one of those things that I kind of fell into in the sense that um, a series of experiences throughout my professional career over the last 15 years have really led me to uh, a discovery that emotional intelligence and providing coaching and guidance for uh, both entrepreneurs and leaders was really a perfect fit for me. I used to um, be a big fan of giving unsolicited advice to people all the time. And what I discovered was that, you know what, people don't really want a lot of unsolicited advice, but when they feel that they have a pain point and they need to kind of work through it, once they once that reaches you know a, a particular level in their lives, that's when they start to seek out support and guidance to make changes. And so I found for myself that um, I could really step into this space as a coach and create a positive impact on people's lives who actually want it. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah. Guilty as charged, unsolicited advice. Definitely yeah. learning the lesson. Uh, that's great. And we've known each other for a long time. So this is kind of a full circle moment for us. So that's great. Um, why don't you just share a little bit about your JCI experience? Because you were a member uh, back in the day. And maybe just how that contributed to where you are now. Yeah, definitely. So I did two tours of time as a JCI member and uh, both 2017 and 2014. Um, served on the executive both times. and. Through that experience, I uh, really learned a lot about myself as an individual. I learned a lot more about social responsibility and relationship building. Um, I would say that those two years in JCI were really pivotal in my personal and my professional development, really. That's amazing. It's so good Mm -hmm. to hear, like, the skills and things that we learn at JCI are leadership positions that we take on outside of maybe our career uh, affect where we where we go and where we end up. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, definitely. You know, when I set out to join a networking group or a personal development group, it was really it was really for self-serving purposes and I kind of went into it a little bit blindly not knowing what I would get out of it. I had a hope that I would be able to build my network, um, you know, become a more successful at the time. Realtor was the first time that I was, I was, I was a realtor when I joined. And um, what I didn't expect to get from that experience was um, a deepened sense of uh, 
giving back and community responsibility, that was one thing that I really hadn't spent a lot of time with in my 20s focused on. I wasn't really like a, um, you know, a charitable person. I didn't volunteer a lot until I started um, volunteer working with G- uh, or yeah, volunteering as a, as a JCI executive member and through some awesome events and stuff. Um, it just kind of started to hit a chord inside me where I really started to feel the sense of um, just a heightened sense of uh, like self-actualization, you know, like again, going back to EQ stuff, which we'll talk about in a little while here, but um, I was just, I just felt better about myself in a general overall sense of happiness through the, through the volunteering and the giving back. Um, Not to mention the amazing friendships that I've made along the way as well. I know watching you grow as a leader and a business owner has been amazing. And I love that part of the growth came from your experiences at JCI because that's obviously been my personal experience as well. So thank you for sharing. I really appreciate that. So why don't we dive right in? So why don't we start by talking about what is emotional intelligence? Because we all, this word's kind of trendy now. It's being thrown around. So let's start with just defining, like, what is it? Yeah, definitely. So like you said, it has been kind of a, a key thing that's been talked about over the past, well, especially over the past few years during the pandemic. But really since the mid-90s, um, emotional intelligence has been much more uh, front of mind as opposed to, say, IQ. And really what emotional intelligence is, is it's a set of social and emotional skills that, um, you know, influence the way that we perceive ourselves, that we maintain relationships and nurture relationships with others, how we process, um, you know, our emotions and different challenges that are going on in our lives. It's really using emotional information in a super healthy and effective way. And that's different than IQ because IQ is really um, a measure of, um, you know, our intellectual, our analytical, our logical ability and our reasoning. And it's interesting because IQ, a person's IQ is actually set somewhere in their late teens, early 20s. Like you kind of, you know, you reach a level with your IQ and that doesn't really change very much. We call it a static um, trait or measure. Um, And there may be a slight decline, you know, in your senior years uh, with with regards to IQ. But EQ is actually a dynamic um, measure. It's a dynamic set of uh, social and emotional skills. So a person's emotional intelligence isn't actually set in stone and it can be developed. And that's one of the that's one of the amazing things about emotional intelligence is that we can actually, um, you know, work on micro practices all the time to continually increase our emotional intelligence. And something that I did want to point out as well is that quite often in conversations that I've had over the years, I find that people mistake, often mistake emotional intelligence with personality assessments. They're like, oh yeah, I've done the Myers-Briggs. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I know myself kind of thing. Right. And that's a, that's a common, um, it's a common misunderstanding because personality tests are really unique traits that kind of form the ways that we think and feel and behave. And one of the limiting aspects of personality assessments, and they are good, they do serve a purpose for sure, but they have a tendency to lump people into groups. And there isn't a lot of focus Mm -hmm. on, um, 
on that dynamic nature of personality assessments. It's like, you know, I'm an extroverted feeling sensing type kind of thing. And so that I'm typecast into this, into this particular role. And um, there isn't a lot of focus on how we can, or not even how we can, or just the sheer fact that we do change over time. Our personalities tend to have a tendency to change. I used to be very introverted. And now in my, you know, in my, my middle years, I'm, uh, I'm actually <laughs> learning that I'm quite an extroverted person. And, um, and that isn't really talked about so much in the personality world. Yeah, that's amazing. So emotional intelligence for me, it's like, how do we identify it? Like, how do we, how do we say, you know, I've always had it described or I've taken courses where people have described it as good people skills, but what would be included in like emotional intelligence? Like what competencies, Mm -hmm. what makes someone better at it maybe, or not as good at it? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. And there are a few different, there are probably two or three main uh, interpretations or, uh, you know, sets of skills that, uh, are, that comprise emotional intelligence right now. But the one I focus on is really developed by the pioneer of, um, emotional intelligence, which by the name is a doctor by the name of, uh, Reuven Baran was an Israeli scientist, uh, social scientist back in the eighties. And he, uh, and, subsequent teams of researchers kind of ended up defining emotional intelligence or, or breaking emotional intelligence into five essential um, realms or composite, you know, kind of main areas. Right. And those are self-perception. Um, and within each of these five realms, there are three kind of subscales of emotional intelligence. So within the self-perception realm, it's broken down into self-regard Um, so how we perceive ourselves, what, you know, if we think positive thoughts about ourselves, or if we think, you know, um, disparagingly about ourselves, um, it's also broken down into self-actualization. So the activities and the, the things that we do in order to kind of, um, realize our full potential in life and become more interesting, well-rounded people. And, and within that, there's also emotional self-awareness. So how aware are we of our ability, like of, of the emotions and the, the thoughts and the beliefs that we hold about ourselves, right? So that's the first kind of main realm is self-perception. And then we have, it's, uh, then we have the self-expression realm. So all about how we emotionally express ourselves and how assertive we are or, or passive aggressive we are, right? Assertiveness is on a continuum. We can either be aggressive or we can be passive or somewhere in between. And, um, and independence also falls under that self-expression realm as well. So can we make independent decisions or are we drawn to relying on other people to validate um, the, the decisions that we want to make for our lives, you know? Um, So that's a big part of self-expression. And the third um, realm would be the interpersonal realm. So, uh, our interpersonal relationships, our ability to be empathetic. So empathy is a big part of that and social responsibility, um, falls under the interpersonal realm as well. So how we, you know, focus our efforts on the, the world at large and the community at large to, you know, to make our world a better place. Um, the fourth one is decision-making. So within decision-making is uh, problem-solving, um, our ability to pro- solve problems in an effective and efficient way, uh, reality testing. So do you see the world through rose-colored glasses or is it a glasses-half-full type mentality that we have, right? I definitely have um, probably 
not rose colored glasses. Sometimes I think like not the worst of every situation, but I have a very kind of jaded, realistic view of the world, which is an interesting awareness to have as I went through my own emotional intelligence assessment. And then finally, impulse control. So how uh, impulsive are we? Are we quick decision makers or do we really think things out? And then finally, we have the stress management realm, which uh, which speaks to flexibility, um, stress tolerance, and optimism. So how optimistic are we with our lives or how flexible can we be? And all of these skills across all of these different realms really um, dictate how we show up as not only leaders within our organizations that we're a part of or in our businesses if we're self-employed, um, but also within our family dynamics and our, and our personal relationships uh, outside of work as well. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like I heard you say that these skills can be developed. They're not the static type. Exactly. So, I mean, when it comes to measuring a person's emotional intelligence, we can, um, you know, there are a few uh, assessments that we can do. So this is a, you know, it's quite often it's a, uh, it's a self-reporting measure. So the EQI, EQ stands for emotional quotient, emotional quotient, um, and the little I stands for the inventory. So that's a, it's a self-reporting um, assessment that you can do. And there's also the EQ 360. So we can also um, measure a person's emotional intelligence through 360 degree um, assessments uh, within our networks as well. Um, there are some areas of research that have focused on ability-based um, ways of measuring emotional intelligence, but that's not an area that I focus on too much personally. Um, I'm really more into that uh, that self-assessment through um, a standardized test, which is delivered through multi-health systems, MHS. It's a Canadian-based uh, organization that's been around for like 20 plus years. Um, but even if you don't you know, have a, a self-assessment done through this, this, um, uh, this test of emotional uh, or assessment of emotional intelligence, you can really just kind of look inwards and, and really start to think to yourself, you know, how am I showing up or, you know, think about the feedback that you've received in your life or the experiences that you've had in your life. Like, um, you know, I can think back to, uh, you know, experiences that you and I have had too in, in our earlier friendship, in our earlier days. And I, and I think to myself, like, how did that feel? And, you know, and, and did I show up in the best way possible? And um, there are a lot of uh, self-assessments and um, activities that you can engage in to just start to learn more about emotional intelligence, and then basically just use that as a measure against your own life experiences. Mm-hmm. Sounds like self-reflection and sort of being really curious about interactions or like you said, how you showed up is really integral or a big part of how we can figure out where we are on that scale if we're not taking the formal test. Yeah. I mean, I think at the very um, basic level, it's, it's important to start to learn about your, what, what emotional intelligence is and, um, and how that plays a role in your life, because then from at that point, then you can start to actually measure it against the different experiences that you're mm-hmm. having, right? And but even before that, I would say you wouldn't really know. Like, I mean, I'm mean, just speaking from personal experience as well. Like, I didn't know that um, 
I needed to focus on certain areas of my emotional intelligence until I hit a critical point in my life that then forced me to, you know, say, Hey, I actually don't want to feel this way. So, so, so now I'm going to start to learn about, um, and I didn't even know, I didn't say, I'm going to go learn about emotional intelligence. I was like, <laughs> I just need to learn how to not feel this way. And so through that, I, you know, fell into it, uh, essentially, um, and, and just kind of discovered it through my own research. But this is where executive coaches um, can kind of really play a big part uh, in helping people start to uncover a lot of how they're showing up and, and really make positive change. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about how- like why emotional intelligence and having strong emotional intelligence skills or competencies um, is so important as a leader? Well, you know, we're in a new era, um, a newer era of leadership. And, you know, if we go way back when we think about, um, you know, the industrial era and you just go to work, you clock in and you do your job and these things were expected of you. There wasn't really a lot of room uh, for looking at individuals for their unique abilities and their unique experiences and how all aspects of their lives, um, both in the office and away from the office or in the workplace and out of the workplace, really kind of fed into how they were showing up at work. There wasn't really a lot of room for that back in the day. And, you know, although many of the organizations that we're in um, right now are still very much top down uh, leadership structures, what employers and leaders are starting to realize is that we need to have a much higher level of empathy, um, you know, like reality testing skills or flexibility skills and interpersonal skills, really, at the end of the day all of the different areas of emotional intelligence are much more important because people just don't want to show up and go to work. They want to feel truly um, satisfied and connected to the work that they're doing and to the cause, to the greater mission of the organizations that we're a part of or the businesses that we're leading um, or creating. It's really important. And especially in this kind of post pandemic remote working world. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I have a belief that emotional intelligence is actually that set of skills is the number one skills that a leader needs to be effective. What do you think about that? Oh, 100%. I think that, um, I mean, I would say my my top skills, if I could pick from the list that I mentioned, I would say that the top skills to be an effective leader um, in this day and age is really, um, obviously, empathy. problem solving, our interpersonal skills, and actually one that we don't really think about a lot, but self-actualization is a really important skill for a leader because it helps us um, relate to more people because we're turning the lens on ourselves and saying, okay, you know, what do I need to do to become a more, not only a more interesting individual, but um, to have to develop a deeper understanding of people's differences and um, and, and then being able to, um, you know, meet people where they're at. Yeah, I think so too. Being able yeah. to relate to the people that you're serving, right? Yeah, and that really falls down to empathy. I mean, you don't have to agree um, or see eye to eye with your with your fellow coworkers or employees, but you need to be able to, you know, get a sense of where they're coming from and why it's affecting them, right? It all comes down to the why. That's why I'm such a big fan of Simon Sinek's work. Um 
You know, oh, everything you. starts with why, right? And that really plays into emotional intelligence as well. Yeah, I think understanding it um, gives you a potentially a better lens to see the people you're working with, whether it be in a nonprofit or in your volunteer life, you know, an organization or your business or as an employee, like how you're affecting your teams or managing teams. Um, for me, that's been huge to remember to be a human first and then mm -hmm. uh, you focus on the challenge or the task at hand. I personally have seen yeah. an increase in productivity. I like, you know, see, using that emotional intelligence piece to say, how would I like to be talked to about this, whether it's positive or negative, right? To sort of, even though our experience is not the same, but giving me sort of some more feedback on how I might communicate with others. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the work I do with some of my clients, um, you know, even comes down to how to be a better listener, right? It's talking about active listening skills and, and incorporating mindfulness practices into, into our leadership, right? It's being very aware of how we are um, um, showing up in those interactions and kind of taking our personal agenda out of the equation for a, for a moment, just to really truly see um, this person, you know, at the end of the day, People want to feel seen, heard, and understood. And the way that I need to be seen, heard, and understood might be different than the way that you need to be seen, heard, and understood. And the leaders who have a really high level of IQ are under are able to understand like which people um, need more support in certain areas and which ones don't need as much support or maybe require a more direct approach in like a more assertive approach. Uh, approach in their communication skills, or maybe a softer approach, right? And that's a really big, another um, big piece of the of the remote working is, is some of us remote workers are actually quite comfortable working remotely and on our own, because we're either self more self sufficient, or we just don't have that level of need in terms of, you know, interacting with people. Um, but others of us, it's actually been really hard because we thrive on that person to person contact. And so it can be very isolating. So a leader who has a high level of emotional intelligence is able to understand and see those varying needs of their staff and then, and then be able to create opportunities um, that serve the needs of both types of, of individual do you think that leaders in your experience are embracing this idea of emotional intelligence or do you think they're still sort of shying away from that? Like, Oh, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to show my emotions or emotions are bad. You know, that kind of thing. Do we see a, a shift? I definitely think that there is, there is a shift. There's a movement happening in our world right now to a more emotionally intelligent um, world it is going to be a long process and it will be a messy process because it is uncomfortable to look in the mirror and, um, and own up to how you've been showing up in certain ways. Right. And not necessarily just showing up to other people, but, you know, in our own lives um, with regards to say um, problem solving, you know, if, if I have, if I, do a self-assessment and I have a high level of stress tolerance. So I score higher on the stress tolerance side of things, but I saw uh, score lower on the problem solving side of things. That means I might actually have a better ability to like 
make impulsive decisions um, because I think in my head, okay, you know what? This probably isn't the best decision for me right now, but I'm going to do it anyways because I have a high level of stress tolerance. I can handle a higher level. And, um, but that might not be a good thing because maybe we realize that our financial life is in ruins. And so we actually have to temper some of these skills in order to, um, you know, make more effective decisions for ourselves. Um, so do I think that there is a shift happening? Yes. Um, but it's going to require people to, uh, like I said, hit that critical point in their lives where they feel like they've had enough of their own you know, BS that they want to, that they start want to making, you know, start making positive change in their <laughs> lives. Um, but not everybody is there at the, at the moment, but you don't have to necessarily be there either to um, start listening to the feedback that you're receiving from your coworkers and your community um, in order to say, Hey, maybe there's something to this feedback or, you know, maybe I can, it just takes one little, one little step in the right direction to start making really good lasting change. Feedback is so important, Um, good Mm -hmm. or bad or neutral, just receiving and listening to that feedback and deciding what that's telling you. So important. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking from personal experience, when I grew up getting feedback was a very negative thing. Like you don't want to get any, because if you get some, that means you must be wrong or it's horrible and um, growing and changing to realize that really that's just uh, information about whether you're on course or off course. So if it's feedback that's negative, oh, maybe I'm off course a little bit, you know. So yeah. I think that's huge in this this piece, in this discussion, um, especially as a leader, when you're getting feedback from different stakeholders or your team to really like internalize that and think about. Uh, what that was about uh, and discerning that I think is really important. Yeah, that's actually a really good um, topic you bring up there about the feedback because sometimes feedback is also, um, it, it can be very much about the individual and their perceptions about how you're showing up, right? And so and so I think it's, you know, Absolutely. the reality testing uh, element of emotional intelligence is actually really important. And there's there's actually an activity that you can do um, to basically start to take that feedback through, um, you know, through, through a a mindset exercise to determine whether or not um, that feedback is appropriately placed or, or if it does play a part in your life, right? Because you don't want to just blindly take feedback all the time. Um, But at the same time, we do need to pay attention to it. So I'm happy to share that mindset uh, activity with everybody if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, please do. Awesome. I would love that. It's basically called the ABCDE mindset shift. And I'm happy to share this uh, as a link in the show notes afterwards if everyone wants it. There's a really easy worksheet that you can do. But at the end of the day, just on a piece of paper or a notebook, you would uh, list out five columns. and, And it's column A through E. And in the first, so not in the first column, but your first step is to list in column C, you have to start thinking about a situation um, that recently happened in your life. So let's just use um, the feedback as an example. So say you received some feedback from your boss that maybe you were showing up too aggressively in um, a meeting or an interaction, right? Like you were just 
too much if they, let's just say the feedback was. And so what you're going to do in column C is you're going to start to list out the feelings and behaviors that you started to feel based on this, uh, on this feedback. So I started to feel defensive, you know, um, I was, uh, I was feeling, um, tight and pent up inside. I was feeling a little bit angry and indignant. So these are the feelings and the behaviors. I started kind of pushing back to my boss. Um, so that's what you would list out in column C is really all of the feelings, like the physical and emotional feelings, and then the behaviors that that accompanied those feelings. And then in column A, you're going to write out the incident. Like I received feedback from my boss about how I showed up in a meeting. And then in column B, what you're going to do, and this is something that um, most of us don't automatically think about, is we're going to list out the self-talk that was triggered by the incident. So, you know, it might be a lot of inward self-talk, like, I'm too much. I'm I am not a worthy person because I'm too outspoken or I'm too whatever. Um, or it could be, um, like, I will never be a good leader because of XYZ, right? It could be whatever types of self-talk. So you're going to write out all the different self-talk that happened in that, in those first few moments after you received that feedback. And then over to column D, what you're going to do is now you're going to start to debate and dispute or discard the beliefs in column B, right? Um, based on the feedback that you received. So you're going to ask yourself questions like, what proof do I have that I'm too much, you know, or that I'm too aggressive? Um, are there more logical explanations to what happened in that uh, event or in that meeting or around the feedback that I received? Um, you can also ask yourself, like, what advice would I give somebody else if I were if they were in my shoes kind of thing? If I was the leader giving the feedback, what advice would I give somebody? And another question you can ask yourself is, have I been in situations like this before and had similar thoughts or beliefs uh, about myself and discovered it was wrong? Right. Um, you know, am I really too much or was this a one off situation? So you can start asking, you know, start challenging those beliefs that you're having about yourself. And then finally, in column E, what you're going to do is you're going to list how um, uh, everything that you wrote in column D has shifted your beliefs. So you can also ask yourself, you know, what do I want to believe instead? Or how do I want to feel in these types of situations, even whether it's in receiving feedback in these types of situations or the meeting itself, right? So you start to, you know, say, like, has mm -hmm. my perspective shifted now because I've taken myself through this series of exercises um, in, in this worksheet. And I personally use this, I used to, it's really great to write it out at first. Um, but after a while, you can just run through these these questions in your mind, and it really helps you kind of take that pause and start to challenge your own belief systems, like your own self-talk, these limiting beliefs that we might have um, about whatever type of interaction. And it really helps you then make some kind of wise, concerted decisions to go forward and and, and with a different approach. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And we will link the sheet in the show notes. That would be amazing. So thank Definitely. you. Mm -hmm. So as we sort of wrap up here, if you, we have a lot of leaders that listen, um, that are part of our JCI organizations, like up and coming, um, the, and also maybe more seasoned leaders, shall I say, um, what kind of recommendations or tips can you give them if they want to increase their emotional intelligence? Yeah, I would say, I mean, 
first and foremost, if you have any inclination that there is something in your life that you feel could be um, uh, optimized, if there's a feeling that you're having that just doesn't sit quite right and you think, I'd like to feel differently, if it comes down to social and emotional feelings, then maybe emotional intelligence might be a topic that you want to explore. And some of my favorite books around emotional intelligence are um, what my, my absolute favorite book is called The EQ Edge, um, Emotional Intelligence and Your Success. And that one has just it's just full of exercises and um, and, and practices and, and just knowledge and stories, a lot of case studies um, that talk through all sorts of leadership scenarios and how you can improve in certain areas. So that's just a fantastic one. Um, Obviously, all of the Daniel Goleman stuff is really important as well. Daniel Goleman was, uh, has been a, a really influential voice in the topic of emotional intelligence. Um, and a kind of a fringe book, too, that you might be interested, that people might be interested in is called Reinventing Organizations. And it's by an author mm. named Frederick Lalu. And it is not necessarily about emotional intelligence specifically, but it's about how organizations can be run in a different way. Um, and emotional intelligence really just ties into that. Um, you can also do part, like take part in in uh, formal assessments. So the EQI 2.0 and the EQ 360 are the world's only scientifically validated assessment of a person's emotional intelligence. So you answer 133 questions. It does need to be administered by a certified um, EQI coach, um, like myself, or um, there are hundreds uh, or thousands pr pr probably uh, throughout the world. And, um, and so this is a, a standardized test that you can take. It's um, not terribly expensive, but it's a really great way to just kind of get a baseline measure of what your emotional intelligence is. And then you can, you know, just create a really solid action plan on um, how to uh, increase your emotional intelligence over time through practices. And finally, I mean, at the end of the day, mindfulness is a really big is a really big element of mm. emotional intelligence, right? So learning how to be a more mindful listener and, um, and, 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 you know, diving into problem solving and empathy and, um, or having a conversation with a coach as well. I mean, that's, that's a big, that's a big uh, support for a lot of people in the world. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Sue, uh, to talk about one of our favorite topics, but also to share your wisdom and, the exercise with our listeners. That's amazing. And we really appreciate it. That's great. Well, it was an honor to be on the, sh on the show with you, Jen, and uh, always great to connect with you. This is how we do in JCI Canada. Join, converse, inspire. Thanks for listening. Merci pour l'écoute. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or pretty much any listening platform you may use. A bientôt. And I was even pointing at my toe when I said it. Toe.